talk. Is everybody ready to do that? No, you're like, no, let's keep talking. We need more, more on the money talk. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to stick in chapter 6. And so if you want to go ahead and start getting there, that'd be awesome. Uh, Listen, a buddy of mine has been helping me out lately because um, apparently doctors call what I have as a health problem. And so he's been helping me get healthy again. But here's what it looks like. It means that he's been helping me constantly rethink things. It's been, he's been calling me out on things that are like, you're thinking about this is wrong. So one of the phrases that he says all the time is this idea of it's not, it's, it's get to, not have to, right? You get to eat healthy, not you have to eat healthy. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> you know, everybody's like, no, that's wrong, you know? But he's like, no, 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 you're, you're Brian. You get to work out and exercise, not you have to work out and exercise. And I'm like, dude, you are way wrong here. Like you're, you're, and, but the whole problem is he's going, your mind is off. The way you are thinking about things is not right. Even the other day, because well, he's like my accountability guy. So I, we wrote out a plan and we said, here's what I'm doing. And so I sent him a text because I wanted to go off plan. I said, hey, listen, it's Valentine's Day week. All right, so I text him, I said, hey, bro. Um, here's what I'm thinking. And I sent sent him this text. If anybody sends me a text like that, I'm always like, man, listen, yes, absolutely, I get it. He he sends back a text with one word, why? I was like, why? I don't wanna have to explain why, okay? And so, but he just would not let me bend on these things because what he's doing is he's going like, you are still thinking wrong about things. You are still thinking have to, not get to. You're still thinking. And so I said, here's what we're doing. And he sends me back a menu plan. Here's what you can have. I'm like, okay, thanks for nothing. Um, But the whole point is, in my situation, I realize that when I've been, the way I've been looking at things has been off. It's been upside down in many ways. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes um, or one of my, a quote from one of my favorite books. Dallas Willard wrote this book called Divine Conspiracy. If you love reading and you have a lot of time, this is a good one to jump in on. Um, but he opens up the book, the book with this quote. Here's what it says. He says, recently a pilot who was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a jet fighter and she turned the controls in what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. Here's the reality. Our culture moves at a pace that is disorienting. 
Our world tells us things and we're in a particular way and a particular speed and it's disorienting to the point where in many ways our thinking is upside down. We think we make this big decision and it's going to be right and all of a sudden it throws us into more chaos. I don't know if you've been in that situation recently, but if your thinking is off and you make the wrong decision, it has consequences, okay? And so just like this fighter pilot, if we're not careful... We might be seeing things and thinking things in a way that's going to turn us in a destructive kind of way. And so scripture teaches us a kingdom way. Scripture teaches us about the ways of Jesus and says, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to see things. In particular, this is how we're going to deal with money from a kingdom perspective. So we need to address your thinking. We need to address my thinking when it comes to money. This is the money talk. And here's the reality, okay? We do this every year because we think healthy families talk about hard things. Healthy families, if they love one another, won't let you make destructive decisions about money, will they? Like they wouldn't let you just kind of walk in a way that they know is going to lead to more pain, right? That's why we talk about these things. And so um, it, it reminds me of one of my, a quote from one of my mentors. He says, we are going to think about our thinking. So everybody settle in. This is going to be good because Paul actually had a big deal with thinking. He, he, was, he was always trying to help people reset their mind. He was always trying to help people go like, you're seeing things from the world up and we want you to see things from the kingdom down. We need a different perspective. We need to flip our thinking. And he, this is all throughout his writing. So Paul, again, famous church planner, wrote tons of letters to the New Testament churches. And he's um, in one of his most famous letters to the church in Rome. He says this, do not be conformed to this world, right? You know this. Do not be conformed to what? And other translations say to the patterns of this world. Patterns of what? Patterns of thinking. Patterns of living in a way that is not lining up with the kingdom. So he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, to the thinking and the framework and the structures of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, say it, mind. The renewal of your mind. Many of you, like me, have been thinking about things upside down. Tonight, we get to change that. And hopefully the Lord's going to help us start walking in a new way with this. So Paul addresses the issue of rethinking things in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy was this young pastor. He wanted to raise him up to be a church planter. He wanted to raise him up to kind of serve the churches. And so Timothy currently is leading at a church in Ephesus. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, I want you to lead well. And here are the things that I've seen in the Ephesian church. Here's where their thinking is off. And so he begins to say, here are the different things. So he says, you need to address the leadership in the church there because things are not really adding up. You need to address order and worship in that church because things are not adding up. You need to address all these kinds of issues. But then Paul, at the end of the first letter, he writes to Timothy. He says, you need to have the money talk with the Ephesian church. They don't get it yet. So we're going to listen to the money talk that Paul says, this is what you need to tell the church in Ephesus. So if you've got a Bible again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 6. And we're going to trudge through this in a very good way. Ready? Verse 6, it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to those words. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take none of it with us. He's saying, listen, you weren't born with stuff. You're not leaving with stuff. He says, that doesn't matter. And he goes on. But if we have food and we have clothes, with these we will be content. So what's he saying? He's saying contentment is not dependent on wealth. You being satisfied in life is not dependent on how much you make. It's not dependent on how much stuff you have. He says, if you've got clothes and you've got food, you can be content. But look, he keeps going. He even flips the understanding and says, it's not even about the wealth. He says, godliness and contentment, in fact, are a form of wealth. Godliness with contentment, those things, that's where great gain is found. And he goes down, verse 9, here's what he says. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Let me just clarify something real quick. I would just guess most of us in this room do not say, I'm one of the rich ones. According to who Paul's writing to, you're the rich guy, okay? According to the audience that he's talking to and according to the current state of our world, we are the wealthy. So when scripture says to the rich, just go like, okay, I better tune in. Half of you said to the rich and you're like, oh, that's not me, I'm out. I'm gonna take a 20 minute nap and then wake me up when the music starts again. But that's not, listen, this is you, this is me. To the rich, here's the deal. Those who desire, pick up on all these words, just as I'm reading scripture, just listen to some of these words that are jumping out at you. To those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare. What's it saying? It's a trap, all right? It's a trap, it's coming after you. And they fall into this snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. They, they plunge people into ruin and destruction. Heads up, this is it right here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some of you, your grandma yelled that at you one day, right? You're like, you've heard this somewhere and it was a stinging word from your grandma. But let's hear it again. The, the love of money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That means if the love of money is planted in your heart, it's gonna produce all kinds of stuff. It'll look a lot of different ways. It'll destroy a lot of different things. But if it's planted in you, it will grow into not good things. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Man, listen, the love of money it's not going to bring satisfaction. It's not going to bring, it's never going to satisfy you. And the worst thing is it is that it's a trap. It steals from you. It lies to you. It makes all kind of promises and it's never going to satisfy. And here's the thing, it's going to lead you down paths that will destroy you. Whether it looks like it destroys your family, destroys your future, it destroys your soul, whatever it is. If, if that becomes the pursuit, if that takes root in you, it's, it's going to lead you down paths that you don't want to go. So this is the problem we have to deal with. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's what Paul's saying, though. Be encouraged on this. There's a way to enjoy wealth and blessing and at the same time not be trapped by the love of money. He's saying, listen to me. There's a way in which we can be rich, we can be wealthy, we can have these things, and at the same time, these things don't have us. He's saying that's possible. So he presents the problem, and then let's jump down, because we gotta figure out, how do we get there? How do we live that kind of life? Jump down to verse 17. 
because Paul gets really practical. He says, as for the rich in this present age, again, who is that? Just look at someone next to you. Say, that's you, all right? Yeah, that's you, all right. Now stop, you can come back this way. All right, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, get ready, not to be haughty. That's a fun word to say. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's where it all makes sense, ready? The word haughty, this word right here, it means to have a, to be high-minded. It literally means your mindset is off. You're looking at yourself and you're looking at your paycheck and you're going, my identity and my worth is determined by what I make. My identity is based on my paycheck. He's saying things like, listen, to be high-minded, it can, it can destroy the way you see yourself. And so Paul's saying, don't let your thinking about yourself be determined by your wealth. And listen to this, don't let your thinking about yourself be determined by your lack of wealth. Because if your identity is based on money, when you have it, then you'll think you're all that. If you don't have it, what do you think? I'm not all that. If your worth your identity and even your emotion is tied to money, then as it falls, so you fall. As it rises, so you get puffed up. So here's the thing. If we're not careful, pride can convince us that money can give us what we need regardless of whether or not God is in the picture. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I love this book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I give this book away to, to more people. This is the book I give away more than anything, except the Bible, of course. Okay, <clears throat> but here's what he says about spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, to achieve our own sense of self-worth, and to find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Pride says, I can get there. Pride says, I have made it. Pride says, look what I have built, therefore I am something. This is why Paul said, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches because listen to this, hope is too weighty a matter to rest on the shoulders of riches. Your hope will crush your wealth because it is uncertain. Money is uncertain. It's a foundation that is shaky. It's always gonna be moving on you. So don't build your life on that. The only one who won't disappoint is God himself. God is the only one who can carry the weight of human hope. He's not gonna disappoint you. Look what happens in verse 18. He says this, talking about the wealthy again. There to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we're gonna get super practical now, okay? Because we wanna talk about how do we take hold of that which is truly life? How many of you want to live life living? How many of you don't wanna, how many of you wanna live life waking up 20 years from now going like, how did I miss this? How did I spend my entire life running after things that don't matter? All of us wanna know, how do we truly live? All of us wanna know what living actually means. Paul says, this is what is at stake if we don't get this right. 
He says, this is a way to live a way that is truly living. So we're going to talk about four guardrails for living. Four guardrails for living. The first one is this. Live with humility. Live with humility. And just a a quick aside on this. When I think about people in my life that I'm amazed by, or people in my life that I truly respect, it's those people who have this quiet strength. You know what I mean? My wife is like this. Like she is, she is steady. She is like calm and strong. And I'm like, you are from another world. You know what I mean? And, and it's because she, she's figured out how to do these things. She she's knows how to live more fully. And part of it is because she can live with humility. Look at what 17 says. So we're going to backtrack and we're going to kind of camp out in some of these places. Again, as, the, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides. Listen to this part. But build your life on God who richly provides everything to enjoy. Sometimes people think that being a Christian is lame. Sometimes people think that if I become a Christian, I don't get to have fun things. I don't get to do happy things. I don't get to experience life. And and all of a sudden we're saying like, no, no, no. Being a Christian is actually how you discover how to enjoy life. And so here's the thing. This shows us two things. First off, living with humility is like opening a door for you to enjoy life. If you humble yourself, all of a sudden you can experience what God has in store for you. So our kids, uh, we have four kids. Um, they now have jobs around the house, and when they do their job, that's how they make money, all right? And so, so if they don't do their job, they don't get paid. Um, if you do your job, you get paid. We figure that's a pretty important lesson today. Uh, and so that's what we've been kind of working on. And so every two weeks, they get a paycheck. Uh, it's, it, well, they get quarters. Um, but so, so the point is, you know, every two weeks, we, we, we pay them like, did you do your, you didn't work? Well, you didn't, if you didn't show up to work, you don't get paid. That's how it works. And so... Um, deal with it. Uh, but here's the deal. What if our kids, after a couple weeks, were like, you know what? Look at all these quarters I've got. Dad, I don't need you. Listen, I'm going out on my own. I'm going to go get my own place. I'm going to provide for myself. They could legitimately survive without us. I'm convinced of that. But it would still not be good for them. Why? Because if you humble yourself and stay in the Father's house, all of a sudden you get to enjoy everything in the Father's house. But if you want to play by a different set of rules or you want to try to do this on your own, listen, you're going to experience a different kind of living. When the Father looks at you and says, but if you stay in my house, you get what comes with me. You see, if my kids, if they just stay close, they're going to enjoy all the food they want 80% of the time. That, that, there's 20% that they don't really enjoy. Um, but most of the time they enjoy what we cook them. Uh, you know, if they stay in our house, we will clothe them. We will protect them. We will do all these kind of things. And that's what's true for you. If you stay with God, if you, you live according to the rules of his house, in other words, living according to the rules of the kingdom of God, all of a sudden, you get what comes with him. And so humble yourself because it opens the door for you to actually enjoy and experience life that he has intended for you. Here's, a, here's what's kind of interesting about this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asked this question. This is the first question. 
It says this, what is the chief end of man? And then this Westminster Shorter Catechism is just simply like helping people provide a biblical way of thinking. So what is the chief end of man? Look at how they answer this. The chief end of man is this, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is your goal in life? To make much of God and enjoy him enjoy the relationships he brings in your life enjoy the fact that he provides for you and he sustains you and he moves you the the whole goal in life is to make much of him and enjoy what he brings you're not going to get there without humbling yourself so you humble yourself because it opens the door here's the second thing that happens living with humility produces gratitude and gratitude produces contentment i know a lot of people who are really rich and not satisfied. And I know a lot of folks who are poor and they are content. Have you met those people? I've met a lot of people who are wealthy and they're not joyful. I've met a lot of people who are poor and their joy astounds me. It's not about what you make. It's not about the stuff. It's about him. And if you humble yourself and stay close to him, you get what comes with him. All right, so first off, Live with humility. Here's the second thing. Live with confidence. Live with confidence. Paul's concern for the rich was that they might actually build their hope for life on something that's going to fail them. That they would actually look at money and think that it could sustain them. And so he actually says to Timothy, instruct them, don't set your hope on these things. Riches, they're uncertain. And if you set your hope on something that's true, the outcome is confidence. If you build your life on something that actually will sustain, the outcome is confidence. And so we're going to get super practical for the next few minutes on this one. All right. So I don't know how many of you set New Year's resolutions. Anybody in the room? Y'all do New Year's resolutions? You're like, we don't do that anymore because we hate failing, right? I get it. So same. I'm in the same boat. Um, So now what I, I used to do like one goal that was like super easy. So after January, I was like, yes, did it. Spend the rest of the year eating pizza, you know? Um, But here, so here's the thing. I don't, I don't really think about goals like that anymore. I think about what, I pray through, Lord, what is one word that's gonna guide me this year? Uh, and I know we, we talked about this a, a few times, several years ago, but what's one word that, that you have for me that's just gonna be like a North Star for me, that's gonna guide me along the way? And for me this year, my word is prepare. Because um, if you know me, I'm typically not prepared. And so I figure if I could be prepared, That'd be a game changer, not just in my life, but for anybody else in my world. And so, my, so I've made this commitment. All right, God, I want to be prepared. Help me figure out what that means. And honestly, when it comes to finances, I want to be prepared means I have to live below my means. Because what if something happens? Am I prepared? What if an opportunity to give and invest in someone going on a mission trip comes up? Which it does in our church. We love doing that and we love supporting people. But listen, if I'm not prepared financially, I am not able to bless and I'm not able to deal with hardships when they come. So for me, I've been thinking about this. So here's here's the idea when it comes to finances. Do your part. Do your part and trust God that he will do his part. You can't control Riches, you can't control a lot of life, but there's a, there are parts of it that you can do. So do your part, that's obedience, and trust God to do his part, that he will provide. And so here's the, here's the let's be real for a minute. If I were to ask you 
some of the wisest things you've heard about how to steward your money. I bet we would, in this room, we would come up with some amazing ways to spend money, amazing ways to steward money, amazing ways to invest money. Knowing what to do with money is not the issue, is it? Actually doing what we know is best is the problem. You see, our problem is not understanding. Our problem is discipline. Anybody can create a budget. Not everybody can live by one. Anybody can get married. Not everybody can stay married. Anybody can do these things, but it's the long, slow walk of obedience and discipline that trips us up, okay? So we know these things, but the reality is, do we have the discipline to actually walk in these things? So I'm gonna give you a few things. These are super simple. Some of you are gonna be like, really? Wow, okay, this is amazing. Um, And others of you are like, I've never even heard of a budget. What is that? Okay, so that's what we're talking about right now. So here's just two things for you. Here's the first thing. Build your life around what matters. When it comes to living with confidence, when it comes to managing money specifically, build your life around things that matter. And so here's here's what I want you to do. You've got to figure out how to deal with debt. All right, shotgun real quick here. You've got to figure out if you've got car payments, if you've got student loans, if you've got credit card payments, it is hindering you from actually doing what you want to do. Those things are getting in the way of you being generous or you getting to run after something that really matters. So if you've got debt, you've got to deal with that. And here's the other thing, create a budget. Now listen, and if you go to the bottom of your digital bulletin, we put some resources there. One of those resources is financialpeace.com. If you haven't taken Financial Peace with Dave Ramsey, listen, that is what you need to do. This is, you can find the, the link on the digital bulletin. You can sign up. You can start taking the classes online and begin walking through the baby steps, finding like the emergency fund. And if you don't know what that is, that means getting yourself prepared. So you kind of save up to $1,000. So you're prepared if something, something happens. But if you haven't taken this class, I think you need to take that class. That thing's going to help you out a whole lot more than what I'm saying in the next five minutes. All right, but here's the other part of this. If you haven't created a budget, we put a budget in the digital bulletin. You can actually click a link and it's a budget I created, so it's super simple. So prepare yourself in advance, all right? But here's the deal. This is what it looks like in our family. My wife and I, we meet on Fridays. We do our family meeting. We look at our budget and, and we go, okay, how's everything going? Does this make sense? Is it working? Are we actually sticking to what we've planned? And then we move on quickly because we're like, oh, this is depressing. Move on. Okay, where do we want to go eat? All right. So that's how our family meetings go. Literally that long. But here's the deal. There's a difference between writing down a budget and having a budget in your head, right? How many of you have a budget in your head? No show of hands. I'm just kidding. Don't worry about that. There's a difference when you write it down. There's a difference when you pull it out and you go, okay, how are we doing? There's a difference when you say like, ooh, we went over on the, the eating this month. And so now we have to go to the envelope system again. How many of you have done that? We've got like a default, like if all else fails, we go to ramen, we go to beans, we go to envelope system. You know, like we strap it down and we're kind of riding this thing out. But <clears throat> so you do those things so that you could build your life around what really matters. And when you're budgeting, I just want to encourage you, don't just budget for what you want to spend, budget for how you want to give. Be thinking about how can we become more generous because that is when you actually get really excited when you are able to bless somebody else. It's something in you lights up. And so plan, build that into the plan as well. And so if you don't, uh, just a quick break. We have a card on your seat. Everybody grab this card real quick. 
Because we actually believe there's a, there's a difference when you actually take a physical step or a physical action, you write something down, you check something off. Um, and so that's why we have this card. It's on the front of your seat. Uh, here's what it says. I heard the money talk. And, and some of you would say that like, yeah, I heard the money talk. Okay, you're tired of it, heard it every year. Here's what I want you to do. On the back, you could just check some options. This is where you begin to make a commitment like, I'm actually going to do something about this. And you're not turning this in. You're not writing your name on it. You're not, this is between you and the Lord. And if you're married, you probably want to talk to them about this too, because uh, that's a big deal. But here's the deal. Just check off some of these things and go like, you know what? We've been talking about living this way, but I'm going to check this off. I'm going to put it in my car. So when I get in every morning, it's like, all right, I heard the money talk. I'm going to run after this. But do something physical so that you can actually begin to walk in those things. Here's the second thing about living with confidence. You ready for this? Get some mentors in your life. A buddy of mine just a couple weeks ago um, told me that that's what he did. He, he just found somebody in our church that was able to actually help him walk and, and, and understand finances a little better. Here's, here's what I know in, in our church right now. We've got retired people who are brilliant, who've built businesses, who've kind of like kind of done it all. And, and if they were to be here and there, they would say like, look at how God has blessed me. He's filled me. He's given me all these things. And then we've got young professionals. We've got college students. We've got single parents in the room right now going like, if somebody could just tell me what to do next. If somebody could just show me, how do I get out of this? If somebody could just explain to me how buying a car works. If somebody could just explain to me how a loan looks, what that looks like. And so in the house right here, we have people who are filled with wisdom and experience. And then we got other people who are desperate for it. So here's the thing. If you need a mentor, look for the people around you that you're like, I want my life to look like their life. I want to be able to do some of the things that they're doing. I've seen them show up in places behind the scenes and bless people. I want to be able to do that. I want to be like that guy. So you go up to them and you say, I have five questions for you. Can we grab coffee sometime? But find mentors, surround yourself with mentors. Look for people who are where you want to be and then pursue it. They are right around you. If I were to guess they were six seats from you, you could find somebody that a relationship with them could change your life if you just had the time to ask and seek. This is the beauty of the church, we're a family. And so maybe on the way out of here, let's not run like we usually do, but let's linger. And maybe in the lobby someone just says, I need help with a budget. And then someone says, why don't you just go help them out, okay? Just, we'll see how that works. But that, this, is, this is part of living with confidence. Actually, if that actually happens, this is gonna be amazing. Uh, that's, our, that's the best plan we got right now. Number three, let's talk about this. Number three, live with generosity. Live with generosity. Look at what verse 18 says again. The rich, the, the way they live is to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Listen, generosity is how you keep your soul healthy in a culture that is obsessed and enslaved to money. This is how you rescue your soul in a culture like ours. I remember when Kirk Cousins was here several months ago, um, I guess it was last year now, um, and, and he, showed, he shared something that blew my mind. He said, listen, so many of us live life like this. Our hand closed tight on what we can keep, on what we can hold on to. And he says, the kingdom of God teaches us to live with our hands open because God can't fill your hands if they're closed tight. 
So the picture is live more like this. Live generously. Do good works. Be open to God filling your hands. And then he said something that blew my mind. He said, but then there are people who figure it out that God fills these hands and then I let it go. And then he fills them again and then I give it away. And then he fills it again and then I give it away. That's the picture of generosity. We, we are not the kind of people that live like this. There's no joy on the other side of that. There's no satisfaction or contentment in that. This is who we are. God, we are wide open. Whatever you put in my hands, I'm going to use to bless people around me. Whatever you fill my hands with, I'm going to make your name great with those things. Whatever you do here, I'm going to make sure it goes to the people right next to me. Because listen, generosity gives you a noble pursuit that reveals the mystery of how God works. Listen, somehow generosity is able to bless people around you and at the same time be a blessing to yourself. It's the, it's the kingdom math that doesn't make sense. That by giving $1 to somebody in need, somehow you receive something as well. That's why generosity is such a big deal. So last thing is this. We're going to wrap it up here. Live with purpose. Live with purpose. Look at verse 19. He says, we're doing all these things. Why are we doing it? We're doing all these things. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Why? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you live another way than the ways of the kingdom, you miss out on life. Because here's the deal. If you don't decide what's important, our culture will. If you don't decide how to parent your kids, our culture will teach you how to parent your kids. Use screens, get them quiet, get them out of the way so you can do what you want to do, right? If you don't decide how to spend your money, our culture will tell you how to spend your money. If you don't decide how to stay engaged in a relationship, our culture will teach you how to stay engaged in a relationship. The problem is every way that our culture is teaching us is leading to more and more pain and destruction. If you look around and you look at how our cultures led us to these places, whether it's in relationships or in our resources, you realize that this is not working. And so I want to invite you to do and live according to the kingdom. So why? Why is it important to do this? Why is it important to change our thinking about money to reflect the ways of Jesus? Um, earlier this week, I was reading from Isaiah, and, and this is just an amazing passage that kind of struck me. Here's what it says. Isaiah 32, verse 1. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Isaiah is looking forward to a time when something's gonna happen. He says, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. And here's what he's saying. This is what you experience under the reign of a righteous and good king. Okay, we're, this is Isaiah talking about a particular time, but we're going to translate it as God as our king, the righteous king, the just king, everybody who lives in his reign, this is what you experience. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind. He will, he will create space for you to protect you, a shelter from the storm, because life is going to be storms, and he will be the one who gives you a way through it, okay? It's like streams of water in a dry place. When the rest of our world is parched and, and dying for something to drink, our God is the one who provides water in dry places. It's like shade. Um, it's like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Here's the point, and we just come back to this again and again. If you stay close to him, you get what's in his house, because how tragic would it be? Again, come back to this. How tragic would it be if we spend 
20 years, 30 years, 50 years, running after things, pursuing something that is never going to matter, is never going to get us where we want? What if we spend our entire lives pushing and fighting for something that will disappoint us? The whole call in all of this, it's not really about money. What we really want is we don't want you to waste your life. We want you to live for something bigger than money. We want you to live for something bigger than stuff. We want you to experience the joy-filled, satisfied, content life that is only found in Jesus. So please stop running and building and thriving off of things that will eventually fail you. Don't waste it. This is a gift. Your life is a gift, but you get one chance at this. You don't get another round at this. You don't want to pass these things on to your kids and they live a round of life that you wish you would run from. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Trust in his ways because it is the way of Jesus that actually leads to life. It's not going to fail you. Trust him. Okay? Let's pray. Father, Father, we're here because uh, we... We're actually hungry for truth. Our world keeps making a lot of promises. And our world is loud. Our world is kind of telling us things that, that to their best understanding without you, those things work. And we know. We know that it's not possible unless it's with you. So for those in the room, God, I ask that you would give new insight, that if they've been having a mindset that is upside down, that you would rewrite their thinking. You would renew. They would be transformed by the renewal of their mind because of the work you are doing in them. God, for those who are really good with money, I pray that you would light something in them that gives them a drive to expand your kingdom in a radically amazing, joy-filled, adventurous kind of way. God, you let them kind of just buy onto, buy into this idea that they can be a part of what you're doing in a significant way, in a way that's eternal. It's going to outlast them. We can't take stuff with us, but we can leave a legacy. And so, God, for those who are really good with money, let them be mentors. Let them love the church well enough to coach them into um, being wise stewards. And for those who are struggling here, um, God, I pray that you'd just remind them right now that you actually are working on their behalf you are not abandoning them but you actually see them and you're doing a work in the struggle you're doing a work in the pain and in the hardship they're experiencing and so just help us to be focused on these things because again we really don't want to waste our life we count it as a gift every good thing is from you and we're thankful for that Jesus we pray In your name, amen.